0: Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I would like to talk about forgiveness as a form of self-care. So what sparked this for me was uh, my most recent self-care Sunday. So in case you aren't aware, every Sunday across social media platforms, I put out a post. Um, usually just a statement that I hope will encourage people to focus on uh, an aspect of self-care for themselves. And this most recent self-care Sunday was it's time to forgive yourself for doing all, oh, hold on, see, listen, I know the sentiment, but I want to get it exactly right. <laughs> So the post said, it's time to forgive yourself for doing the only thing you knew to do at the time. And I found that to be so incredibly powerful. And so when I was thinking about um, my endeavor to talk about self-care this season, definitely pushing us beyond what I think self-care and self-tending has been reduced to, which are oftentimes these external things, things that may not always be accessible to us because of finances, because of time, because of accessibility. I'm not downplaying any of those things. Throughout the time, I want to talk about the benefits of uh, skincare, getting your hair done, getting your nails done, floating, can't wait to talk to y'all about floating, massage and all those things, but there are also internal things that... Are a part of self tending and self care in a way that I don't think gets talked about enough. So I think when you talk about forgiveness, there are so many different avenues. And I want to just kind of go down a few of those streets and just talk through my perspective of forgiveness. So let's start one with forgiveness of self. I know I am not alone when it comes to having. Feelings of anger, frustration, resentment, um, shame around things that I've done in the past. Also having those same emotions around things that have been done to me, done to me in the past, as well as things I've done to other people. So forgiveness of self, why this is so very important. is because while I want to acknowledge and validate those feelings that we have for our past selves and some of the things we've done, that can hold us in a space of immobility and stagnation without us even really recognizing it. One thing that helps with forgiveness of self is really leaning in with curiosity and compassion. You are going to hear me say those two words so much. It's probably really going to get on your nerves. (laughs) But when we begin to adopt a lens of curiosity and compassion, and then we look back over our life through that lens, we have the capacity to see things in such a different way when we begin to realize that oftentimes some of the decisions that we've made that hold that we hold so much resentment and regret around didn't feel like decisions at the time. What I mean by that is oftentimes many of us were in positions Relationally or occupationally, or whatever the situation was, where when we made the decision to stay, or when we made the decision to go, or when we made the decision to do whatever it is that we now are so upset about having done, chances are at the time it didn't feel like a decision. I recognize that we always have choice, but it doesn't always feel like we have choice. When our nervous system is aroused and we go into our autonomic fear responses sometimes that causes us to act in a way that given more space or given more information or our nervous systems being in a different position we may have made a different decision so what i mean by that is if you can look back over something that you have done in the past that you regret, or that you hold shame around, I invite you to think about the circumstance surrounding it. And then just with curiosity, explore what was likely going on in your body at the time. Did you have this accelerated heart rate? Was your blood pressure up? Was adrenaline pumping? Had you shut down? Were you in this space where you felt immobile? Were you afraid? That could have been an immediate fear of whatever was directly in front of you or fear of what was going to come. None of this conversation today is about excuses, but it is about giving ourselves grace by providing some explanation around what was likely actually going on. So, something I'm not sure if I have. given an explanation for before on the podcast, but I talk about it all the time. It's just a quick rundown of the five options that we have as human beings when we encounter fear, stress, and threat. Um, So this is sometimes called the fear cascade. And most people are familiar with two of them, fight and flight. Some more people are aware that there is a third, freeze. But there are an additional two that don't get talked about, I think, as much for people to have a frame of reference. So real quickly, the options we have when we encounter stress, threat, or danger is first is to flock. That means to gain safety through connection. When you are facing uh, stress, danger, or threat, if you find that you are making attempts to connect with other people that could literally be running towards someone calling someone to have a conversation um whatever the situation is that's the flock response the next response is flee simply means gaining safety through distance whether you leave the area the building or the space or whether you find that you're not answering the telephone call or responding to the text message, or you're distracting yourself by scrolling on social media or listening to the Labors of Love podcast, giving yourself some distance. That's the flee response. The uh, the next response is fight. The fight response simply means gaining safety through control. While fleeing will have you moving away from stress, threat, and danger, fight will have you moving towards stress, threat, and danger in an attempt to control it. So rather that's literally swinging your fist and kicking your feet, or compulsively organizing and cleaning a space, or um, setting up a demonstration or protest and and, and being an activist, all part of the fight response. The next response is freeze. Freeze is this moment of temporary immobility. You you might know that there are things you could do. You might even say, should or ought to do, but the body is not cooperating with allowing you to move into those spaces. And the final response is fawn. Fawn is gaining safety through appeasement. If I can give the person the situation or the place what it's demanding of me, and or what I think will satisfy it, maybe the threat, danger, and stress will go away. So we can flock through connection, flee and get distance, fight and try to get control, be temporarily immobilized with freeze or fawn, get safety through appeasement. Now that you have either been hearing this for the first time or been reminded Of those five responses, can you be curious and compassionate towards the person who was whenever this thing happened and say, I wonder out of what space I might have been responding. I know that there are numerous times and um, situations in my life That for a very long time, I had shame around. I was so angry with myself. There is, listen, I used to have so much anger for my 18-year-old self. I don't think that I would have said out loud I was angry with her. But I definitely was. 18-year-old Shonda was in a position where she was so bright. She was smart. Um, she was charismatic. Um, she was athletic. She had a lot going on for her. She just didn't know it. It's not that she didn't think she was smart necessarily. It's not that she didn't recognize that she had a lot going for her, but she was so afraid of being alone, she truly believed with every fiber of her being that she was unlovable, undesirable, and disposable. And because she believed those things, she opted to enter a relationship and Because she literally didn't, she thought if she didn't enter this relationship, that she would not, no one would want to be with her. I can now at almost 40 years old, look back on that time and go, girl, that is ridiculous. Like, that's not true. But when I look back with compassion, I realize I believed it with every fiber of my being. When I tell you the entire trajectory of my life would have been altered by not engaging in that relationship, I mean it. Um, And (laughs) I stayed in that relationship for a very long 12 years, 18 to 30. And that was my whole adult life. Okay. So after leaving that relationship and beginning my healing journey, 10 years ago, y'all can't believe it's been a decade there were times in the beginning of my journey, heck in the middle of my journey up to this point, like where I would look back at all the red flags. I'm talking, we had rainbow flags. It wasn't just red ones, (laughs) orange, blue, green, so many flags. And there will be sometimes there, this, what would happen is, and it still happens now, but in the beginning of my journey, there would be things that would come up. Maybe it was an old picture that I came across, maybe it was, you know, someone posting a Facebook memory or pictures from high school. It could have been any number of things and it would represent the red flag that was present. And I would get so angry with myself. I'm going to let y'all lean on one of them. One of them is every time <laughs> I hear the Donnell Jones song, Where I Want to Be. That's a story for a whole nother time. But just know that every time that song would play, I would move into this space of anger at this 18-year-old girl. And I i managed to not say these words out loud, but I definitely thought, you're so stupid. Why were you so dumb? Why didn't you just? And it wasn't helpful. So as I have evolved in my healing journey, as I've committed to leaning in with compassion and curiosity for myself and others, as I've started to work with my littles, I can literally now look back at that 18 year old girl and I don't pity her. Um, she, she doesn't need pity. I love her. I, I have so much empathy for her. I feel so bad that her vision of herself and her beauty and her gifts were so limited, but I love her. I love her so much that I just envisioned myself wrapping my arms around her and saying, it's okay. It's okay. Thank you. Who can y'all hear that? Like there is a difference... Between having compassion for your younger self and saying, It's okay. Maybe you didn't know better. Maybe you didn't have enough options or you didn't know what your options are. And that is great. That is a wonderful starting place. But let me tell y'all when you can get to a point where you can tell her thank you, I can literally cry right now because I am so thankful for her. She did all she knew to do at the time. And while she would have no idea what was coming her way, she kept persisting and she kept adapting and she kept using whatever survival skills she had and she could develop to stay alive I can no longer be angry with her. I have so much gratitude for her. Can you get there? Can you take time to literally have gratitude for your younger selves who did what they knew to do at the time? Can you actually? embrace the resilience of those younger parts of you whether they did something or whether they didn't do something some of us hold so much anger and shame around our inaction the things we didn't do the things we didn't say but can you just take a moment take in that deep breath visualize that younger self and say thank you I'm not lying, y'all. This will change your life. When we sit in spaces of anger and resentment and rage and hate for our younger selves, what we end up doing when they show up in our lives is we do to them exactly what had been done to us when we were at that stage of our life. Part of reparenting our littles is breaking the cycle of things that have been done to us and our autonomic responses to help inoculate us against that pain and that rejection and that fear. Mm, 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 mm. That is forgiveness of self. I think it's huge that we understand that I am not suggesting a lack of accountability. I am not Suggesting that there are not consequences for every action and inaction that we have. But what I am saying is the ability to forgive ourselves and have gratitude for our resilience is a life-changing act of self-care and self-tending. So. Forgiveness for self. Now, I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness for others. I've engaged in conversations around forgiveness, and it's tough because there are some people who say that um, healing doesn't happen without forgiveness. So there is a school of thought that forgiveness is a is a is a prerequisite for healing. It is mandatory. And then there are others who I would say fall on the other extreme of this spectrum, who say, "Forget forgiveness. <laughs> um, don't forgive." Um, and honestly, because I don't fall on that. I've heard it, I, some of the rationale for it, I can't speak to directly because um, I, I don't fall on that side of the spectrum, but I know that, and I, but when I have heard some people um, talking about it, it's not that I'm like, you're ridiculous, not at all. I I completely understand where they're coming from because oftentimes when people fall on the, on the side that says, don't forgive, there is, um, I think often an assumption that for them encompassed in forgiving is one, forgetting, and two, allowing uh, the offenders uh, access, un, unrestricted access to you. And those are some of the things that I hear when they say that. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, it's not my intent to try to go, this is right. But I do want to provide, I don't know, some perspectives that I have that might, I don't know, speak to people who might be struggling with unforgiveness. So, one, uh, for me, forgiveness is not a one time thing, Um, not for yourself, not for others. I think that we can have moments where we go, you know what, I can forgive that. And then uh, a month, a year, a decade pass, and then things emerge and it brings with them feelings of anger, resentment, and pain, and hate, and rage, and we thought, man, I thought I had gotten past that, so I want to say first that I, I don't view it as a, oh, I forgave them, and then it's over, I think we have many opportunities to exercise, to exercise the forgiveness muscle, The next thing that I want to say is I do not believe that forgiveness is for the offender. I actually think like I've talked about boundaries many times. Boundaries are not about other people. They're about us. When I set a boundary, that does not stop another person from doing or saying anything, but it does give me the ability to filter and manage what comes in and what goes out. So I feel the same about forgiveness. Forgiveness in, for me is not about giving the other person anything, but it is about giving myself the key that keeps me from being tethered to that other person, to a particular incident, to the past. Forgiveness for me is a key that unlocks the present. When I can untether myself from someone who has done wrong to me, I can shake free from the thing that keeps holding me back to that incident, to the beliefs I developed about myself in the world at large because of that incident, to the worldviews that have converged, to the behavioral patterns that I have developed to keep myself safe. Forgiveness allows me to move away from those things and come into the present. That's how I consider forgiveness. Now, I'm going to be so real with y'all, that does not mean that I have mastered this <laughs> at all. I'm just talking it through with you. There have, been, um, I've, there have been some terrible things that have happened to me in my life. And I can definitely say that some of those things and people I feel I have untethered myself from. I can begin to recognize when I've done that, when the person's name or image appears, or a reminder of whatever situation I was in with them pops up, and my nervous system doesn't run amok. That someone can say their name, and my heart rate doesn't accelerate, and I don't get ready to flee or fight. Or I don't shut down. I don't go, how can I appease this person? This happened with my ex-husband. There came a point where I have untethered myself to him. It was not a pleasant relationship for many reasons. And in the beginning, so 10 years ago, when I walked away from that relationship, and for several years that would come, I would get activated just by different things. Something would happen, and I might remember something that was said or an incident that happened, and I could stay in that place um, of heightened arousal, whether it's anger or shame or sadness, for a long time. And as I did the work of forgiveness of self, because here's the thing, you all, even when we recognize that we have been wronged, okay, even when we have this awareness that someone offended us, someone did something to us that was violating, oftentimes a a significant portion of whatever emotion we feel about that we reserve it for ourselves, right? It goes something like this. This person did something that was wrong to me, but I should have saw it coming, but I should have known better. Well, I should have left, I, right? So what then begins to happen is we don't even reserve all of it for them. We, we place some of that on us. So let's go back to the first part of the conversation, forgiveness for self of self. So once I begin to do that work, And every iteration of myself that was in the various parts of that relationship, I began to look back at her with compassion and I got curious around what was going on. And I could envision her and literally say, it's okay. It's okay. I promise I'm not met. It's okay. And then I could look her in her eye and say, thank you. Once I was able to do that, I realized that like when these things would come up, I would get less and less activated. Then I used the same lens. I said, okay, he can't be the ultimate enemy in my life. So then I I forced myself to put on the lens of compassion and curiosity with him. And that was a struggle because let me tell you, my teenager was not about it. She didn't want to have compassion for him. She didn't want to be curious. She wanted him to be the ultimate villain. She, she wanted to scream from the rooftop, rooftops of how she had been wronged, all those things. And so working with the teenage, adolescent, angry part of myself that didn't want to do that, that was part of my work to do. But once I was able to look back at him as a full human being, Then I was able to have enough compassion and curiosity around what was going on with him and what led him to be the person that he was, that the the compassion overtook this need for him to be wrong. And instead, I was able to untether myself from that. I began to recognize that, man, first of all, we should have just never been in a relationship. (laughs) That he could, he wasn't equipped to give me the things that I wanted. He wasn't equipped to give me the things that I needed. And so once I just was able to sit in this space, I could untether myself. I don't know and actually have little hope that there will be any formal reconciliation um, or reckoning with that relationship I will just say we see the relationship very differently. Um, <laughs> but what I also began to realize in my healing journey is that's not necessary. He does not have to come to a point where he acknowledges what has happened in the what happened in that relationship and how it impacted me in order for me to give him back some of his stuff that I've been carrying. Another thing, this is key, y'all. It's really key. I, and I'm still in the midst of this work, but I had to begin to do the work of separating what was the relationship and what came from before that. Like, there are some things from my childhood that showed up in that relationship That may have gotten activated. Maybe they were even, um, I don't know if the right word is worsened, but exacerbated in that relationship. But I don't get to put all the blame on him for stuff that wasn't that took root well before him. So An analogy that I frequently use with clients that I've personally found helpful and I've gotten feedback that others have found it helpful is I like to think of it as a well, W-E-L-L. So ideally, as we are growing up, our caregivers, our community, those who are entrusted with our well-being as children, they fill our well, Okay, that's their job to give us all the things that we need in order to fill our well. And so that might mean um, things around our identity. It may mean confidence our ability to esteem ourselves within, from within, to love ourselves. They fill our will by setting boundaries for us when we can't set them ourselves and then teaching us how to set and maintain them. They teach us how to honor our, our humanity and, and acknowledge, or acknowledge our humanity and honor our reality. They fill our will by taking care of us and teaching us how to do it ourselves. This is how our will gets filled. Once we get older and we move away from those caregiving relationships and those communities and we embark in other relationships, whether it's with friends or a work, um, romantic partners, ideally, we get into relationships where there's mutual filling. We feel their well and they fill ours. Well, If we get into a relationship of some kind and they, and that relationship is not filling our well, if we have a full well of reserves, then we can dip into that well and not be so impacted by this relationship that's not filling our well. But when we get into relationships where our well is not being filled and we look back at our well and realize we don't have a reserve because we did not grow up. And family systems and social structures that filled our well, then this unconscious thing starts to happen where every relationship we get in, we are expecting that relationship to fill our well. Well, that's not fair. We want our relationships to contribute to our well. Yes, indeed. But is it fair that we are starting to engage in relationships that we are expecting to fill the well that is bone dry? I don't think so. Because it was not that relationship's job to get us to a point of sustainability within our well. But that's what's happening. We get in relationships, whether it's a job, fill my well, it's a partner, fill my well, it's friendships, fill my well. Now, I do think that mutually enhancing relationships are important. We don't want to be in relationships that's constantly taking from our well and not replenishing But sometimes we become the person that's dipping from everybody else's will because we're, well, because we're trying to take from theirs and fill ours. And so when I think back on my life and when I'm working with clients, part of it goes, hey, let's do some rightful assignment of responsibility. All the responsibility that you're placing on your partner or on your whoever, not all of that is theirs. Because your well was at a deficit when you came. Some of us had well fillers growing up. We really did. But some life experiences that we've had started to poke holes in the well and drill holes in the well. So even though we were, we had people in our lives that filled our well very well, these other life experiences, whether it's relationships along the way or whatever, have now poked holes in it. So no matter how much was in there, it's starting to pour out. We keep running to get in these different relationships. But we haven't plugged the hole. So no matter how much that new relationship, that new job, that new partner gives you, it never feels like enough because we haven't gone to plug in those holes. So forgiveness. I ain't forget, but I do have my tangents. Part of forgiveness is being able to recognize that sometimes we are misassigning responsibility to people and it's not all their fault. Once we can do that work, it becomes easier to forgive because we go, hmm, I've been giving you 100% responsibility for my feelings of inadequacy when the reality is only about 10% of that was you and I can forgive that 10%. Now, I have another caveat. This is a discussion, a general discussion, about relationships and living life. What I am not talking about right now is people who have been abused and neglected. And and, I know that I get to sit, I have the honor to sit in some of the darkest places with some people who have been horrifically mistreated. This is not my attempt to talk to those people about forgiving their abusers who consistently and constantly violated them and all, excuse me, all of those things. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, so I just wanted to say that I don't, I don't want people to necessarily, um, jump to that. But what I will say is for those who have been horrifically mistreated, sometimes The responsibility that goes to those offenders gets spread around to other people in our lives. Again, using the the same well analogy in ways that are unfair. Um, So I just wanted to say that. But forgiving other people can sometimes become a more manageable task when we can do the work of forgiving self and we can rightly assign responsibility. There are some people and things um, that are in my life and I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not there. Um, how do I know I'm not there? I know I'm not there when uh, I plan a trip back home and one of my legitimate prayers is please don't let me see this person because I know I'm not there yet. I don't even it's not even like because if I see this person this is what I'm going to do. I have lived life long enough to know. I don't know how I'm going to respond. I don't know how my nervous system is going to react in that moment. So I I don't it's not that. It's just mm, I'm not ready because I'm just not ready. So again, this is not a high horse. This is not I am not behind. I'm not on a pedestal. I'm not behind a podium. I'm not elevated on an altar. I'm just talking it through. Because when we are tethered to people and situations in the past, it literally is like a chain around our ankles that prevents us from focusing on the present and moving forward into a future that where we have autonomy and we have voice, choice, and control. And I think that's important. I want to reiterate. This is about us. Some of us will never get the apologies we deserve. There are some apologies I know I'll never get because the people who owe them to me are dead. I think about that. Um. I can recall the day, I can't tell you like this was the date, but I just thinking about this, I can see myself so clearly where I was when I got the call and I was informed that one of the people who sexually abused me when I was a child was murdered. I have never felt such conflicting emotions in my life. Um, yeah, it's just so much was happening to me in that moment. And as I've continued my, and I I, I was very early in my healing journey at that time. Um, and even now, I sometimes recognize i i come to recognize that whatever kind of resolution may have been won't be because that person is not here as a matter of fact two that i know of of my abusers offenders are dead i can't get resolution from them saying something to me or Whatever, making amends. But that does not mean that I have to be tethered to them and the things that happened to me. Now, the thing about forgive and forget, let me tell you why that's not a thing. You know, forgive and forget, because the body keeps the score, the body does not forget. We are not attempting to erase our past. Um, What we are doing is when we can get our bodies to come into the present, we can help our bodies recognize that that thing that happened to us is not happening to us right now. So what is actually happening when we stay tethered to these experiences is anything that comes through our five senses that activates that thing mobilizes our bodies into a survival position that will keep us alive what forgiveness in part helps us to do is get to a point where we go but that's not happening right now and so we can take that deep breath and we can slow the heart rate and we can train the body that even though you just got activated by that smell or by that sound right now we're okay we don't have to run we don't have to fight we don't have to appease anyone. It's okay. We don't have to shut down. We don't have to go. We, we are okay. And so that's important. The forgive and forget, you know, it takes, it doesn't take into account the fact that the body remembers. So what we're trying to do with the body is we're trying to give it new memories that we are safe in this moment. I know this is going to feel completely off topic, but I am going to bring out my soapbox for just a second. It's not that big of a soapbox; it's only like two or three feet. I'm about to go ahead and stand on it, and let me tell you something. I'm maybe I'm gonna go the the thing that people do nowadays: unpopular opinion. <laughs> we do not have to erase our histories period. I mean, and and the one of the biggest ways that I see people erasing their history that drives me nuts is obituaries. So first of all, I recognize that for a lot of people, most, I would even say the person writing the obituary is not the person who died. So the people left to write the obituary, they are the most revisionistic people I have ever seen in my life. I find it so disrespectful to rewrite a person's history to only include what you think is important. I believe this is why having these kind of conversations is imperative in relationships. So one, my obituary is written. It will continue to be updated. Similar to a resume, I have told my husband, you will not or I will not <laughs> be reduced to five paragraphs that start with who I was born to, what church I joined, nothing, you know, a little bit about me and then who I leave behind. There's so much more. And when I see obituaries that omit, I read an obituary once that literally omitted the birth of two children for a woman. Because I'm, a, I'm I'm, guessing because acknowledging those two births would have had to acknowledge the relationship those births came from. It doesn't matter the condition of the relationship. So the, the children, those two children were mentioned in the, you know, and they leave in their memory or leave to mourn them or leave behind. For, listen, again, soapbox might be an unpopular opinion. That is so disrespectful to me. I think that is in part because, I don't know. Our death in our obituary and even your life right now does not have to be a highlight reel. I will admit that there are people who don't like, can't take my level of transparency and honesty and I'm not inviting everyone into this space. But what I am saying is we can get to a point, and I think this is completely related to forgiveness because it's some of these things that that go in this unforgiven space that cause us to eliminate whole decades of our lives and when we don't do that work and actively tell people, "My whole life mattered," then you got people who are reducing people's lives to three or four paragraphs and leaving out the things that either bring them shame or they don't think are important, and I just think that is so so very sad. All right, stepping down, sliding my soapbox back under my chair. Um, Forgiveness, you all. I truly believe that forgiveness is a radical act of self-care. It is a way that we can self-tend, that we can untether ourselves to the past so that we can be here in the present, fully grounded, fully present, so that we can move towards a future where we have voice, choice, and control. I think that's it. Uh, Talk to me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, As I'm talking about this, I, you know, I'm I'm in in an exploration phase of what um, I want to do some services in 2022 that um, can help people get healing while at the same time fostering community. And um, I'm intrigued about what it would look like to do some work around forgiveness. So I will say, if that's something you're interested in, holler at me and let me know. That feedback is always very valuable and important, but if you're listening, I truly hope that, and again, you don't have to agree with me, that's totally okay, but I am hoping that maybe you heard something that will at least, bare minimum, cause you to lean in with curiosity and compassion, that you'll consider forgiving yourself and you would consider forgiving others. Oh, and to be fair, just that other point, that doesn't mean that we don't learn from what we've gone through. It doesn't mean that forgiving someone gives them access at all, let alone unrestricted access to you. That's for me, that's not included in forgiveness. Forgiveness is the untethering. And our abilities to keep ourselves safe is important. And we learn from those lessons. Now, some of us take lessons and we generalize them so broadly that it it hardens our heart. And so when we call ourselves protecting ourselves from, based on what we've learned, we're really stacking a brick wall that doesn't let anyone in. That's also not what I'm talking about. So, um, I just wanted to be clear about that, but yeah, so, um, I want to thank you, my listeners as always for tuning in. I always appreciate the fact that, um, that you take time to tune into the podcast. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. And of course, to my wonderful producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, uh, we are on all the major social media outlets, so interact with us there. Give us a follow. Write us a review. Uh, don't forget that we have a Instagram page specifically for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And if you have suggestions for content or guests, feel free to reach out to me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. If you haven't already, go ahead and review or rate the podcast everywhere you get your podcasts until we connect again you all be well